Our scripture this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 17, beginning at verse 11. Let us pray. Lord, help us be more attentive to your voice in our heart. In our heart. Amen. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is the only place in all of Scripture where someone thanks Jesus. Jesus, our good shepherd, the light that shines in the darkness, the one who refuses to let anything pull us from God who forgives us more than we deserve, who welcomes us as we are and calls us into our better selves. Only once does he hear, thank you. I would say that this is almost unbelievable to me, except that too often I have not noticed the gifts that are right in front of my eyes. Jesus hears this one and only thank you in our text for today. The story goes that while Jesus is traveling, ten, le- ten lepers come begging for help. Ten men whose disease has driven them to the outskirts of society. They ask for mercy. And Jesus, being Jesus, he heals them all. Go, Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priests. For in those days... Only a religious leader could confirm that someone was clean, could say on behalf of the whole community, come on in, welcome home, you're one of us again. So the lepers do as they are told. And then one of them, a Samaritan, an outsider, notices something. On the way, he sees that he is clean And he turns on his heels to race back to the feet of Jesus to say, thank you. Jesus looks around and does the math and asks about the other nine. Are you the only one who's returned? And then Jesus says, rise up and go. Your faith has made you well. Which is great, but he's already been made well. Hasn't he? Isn't that what turns him around in the first place? Skin that is free of disease and a life that is free of isolation? 
So zoom in with me for a minute on the sequence of the events in this story. Because if you're not careful, you might think that it's because of the man's faith that he's cured of leprosy. But look again. What did the lepers do to deserve healing? Were they faithful? Did they know or follow the law? Did they tithe their income? Did they pray really hard? The scripture does not give us any such information. All we know is that ten men were healed simply because Jesus was merciful. I point this out because I've stood with too many dear ones who wonder if they're not good enough to be healed or faithful enough to receive an answer to whatever plea for mercy is deepest in their heart. But that's not how it works, friends. So what else is going on here? When Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well, to the man who is already well, you have to poke around a little bit. In verse 15, when the leper is on his way to the priest and he notices that he's clean, the verb that Luke uses there refers to a physical healing. And in verse 19, when Jesus tells the man that he's been made well, it's an entirely different verb, so-so. And translating that verb into made well is a pretty weak translation. No offense to the people who translated it. It's better and most often translated as saved. Right? Getting well from an illness is one thing, but becoming completely well, becoming whole, that's a whole other matter altogether. And that is what this lone Samaritan experiences. And the only difference between this one and the other nine is that he said, thank you. We have to pick sermon titles really early. So I picked the words, gratitude changes us, which I believe to be true. But if I understand the text, Luke's gospel takes that up a notch. I think what it's trying to say is that gratitude can actually save us. Save us from self-centeredness, from the vortex of consumption and the pull of greed. Save us from bitterness and envy from loneliness and depression. Save us from the fear that the sky is actually falling and nothing good is possible anymore. Maybe I should say that that's what it does for me. But what about you? Can a moment of gratitude make you whole? Two Decembers ago, I heard a sermon on gratitude that has stuck with me, as some, some sermons do. Our friend Bob Dunham preached it, not here, but in Chatham County. Did you know that this congregation has started two other churches? In the 60s, we launched the Church of Reconciliation, and in 2005, the Chapel in the Pines. Bob was preaching this sermon on this text 
as the chapel in the Pines was celebrating their 10th anniversary of their first worship service in their beautiful sanctuary tucked among the trees. And as is his gift, he reminded us all that the fundamental truth of our lives is that we stand in grace. In love, God reaches out to help and heal and restore, and that love is expansive and abundant and everywhere. It's the good news. And yet, according to this story, the odds are that nine out of ten of us won't get it. And then Bob posed two questions. The world is full of gracious gifts, but will I notice? If I notice, how then will I choose to live? They're haunting questions, and the first one really got me. Will I even notice, or am I too busy, or too blinded by my screens, too big for my britches, too bogged down by the burdens of this life? Will I notice at all? Will I notice enough to connect the gift with the giver of all gifts? It makes me think of that old line from Alice Walker, you know? I think it pisses God off if you walk by the color purple in a field somewhere and don't notice it. People think pleasing God is all God cares about, but any fool living in this world can see but it's always trying to please us back. Church, this world is shuddering in pain. Israel is at war. The house is a mess. The planet is warming. But the world is also shimmering with the presence of love. And sometimes it is hard to find our bearings in that heady mix. It's hard to notice. But you, church, you help me pay attention. Take Friday as an example. Here in this sanctuary, we said goodbye to Nancy Faltzgraf, a saint. We were all grieved at her death and that she died far away from us so we couldn't be near her. But I tell you what, Carolyn Folletta and Leslie Hicks and their memorial garden crew made it possible for us to inter Nancy surrounded by beauty. And the Presbyterian women's new hospitality suite over in Vance Barron Hall provided a secluded spot for the family to gather in those tender moments before it all begins. You sang hymns like you really trusted that God was listening. Melinda Evans made Nancy's own recipe of peanut butter rice crispy bars for the reception after, and people cut the crusts out of all those little sandwiches. Ryan Burns, our director of operations, he made sure that Nancy's grandson, who's in a wheelchair, knew just how to navigate the whole building to make sure he could get where he wanted to go. And one after the other of you, you came up to Nancy's family and you talked to them about how you sewed pajama pants for teenagers with her. Or you made her show off her matching shoes because she always had them. You told them how you loved her. 
and I noticed. So I suppose this morning I want to say thank you. If Jesus only heard it once, then let's make sure his church hears it more. Thank you, not just for days like Friday, but for coming Sunday after Sunday to this place to wrestle with this word, which keeps messing with us and keeps calling us to life. And from that foundation, thank you for talking about hard things like money and climate and race. And for knowing that how we talk about those things is as important than the fact that we do. Thank you for your commitment to your neighbors here in Chapel Hill and across the globe and how your ethic of outreach is tied to your discipleship. You know, five years ago, when we were discerning whether or not to apply for this job, we read your mission study, and it said that your care for neighbor was connected to your spiritual life. You use the image of breath, like you breathe in to nurture your own faith, and then you breathe out to share it with others. And it seems like you mean that. Thank you for recognizing that your staff and even your boiler are part of that outreach. That all we do here in this building is to launch us all into ministry in all the days of the week that aren't Sunday. Thank you for letting children be wiggly and picking up their pipe cleaner creations and working really hard at pronouns and asking about what's going on post-graduation or mid-recovery. Thank you for not pretending that everything needs to be fine for you to be here. For being vulnerable and real about what it is to be human. Thank you for making bridges between this place and the one across the street. It's not lost on me that I'm, as, I'm your pastor because of the care that you gave me as a student. Your commitment to them runs deep. Thank you for laughing when Jarrett sings something really weird. <laughs> Thank you for questioning and recalling history and taking risks and singing songs that you love and songs that you wish we'd never sing again. <laughs> Thank you for saying hello to new faces and holding fast to what is good. Thank you. It seems too simple, doesn't it? But I think Jesus was right. Gratitude can save our lives. Because the world comes alive, and we do too, when gratitude shapes us and directs our steps. We see things that we might not have seen otherwise. Thank you for showing me that the kingdom of God is among us right here and now.
and thanks be to the one from whom all blessings flow. <laughs>